Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly. You're listening to DraftKings Network. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. John Anik and Kenny Florian. I f***ing love them. I can't get enough of them. Let's hear that for us next. Big job there from Duffy and Frank Mir is hurt now. Oh, down goes Duffy. Oh, cold. Frank Mir does it again. Rock'em, sock'em, robots here. Oh, my goodness. I can't believe They're a couple of absolutely self-involved bullshit artists. Here are your hosts, John Anik and Kenny Florian. Oh, great to be back with you. One year anniversary of Headshot Bang. Sunday, August 20th, 2023 is the year. Episode 431 of the Anakin Florian podcast. I was up all night. Food delivery driver delivered our late night food. Uh, uh, a far ways from the hotel. So thanks to my twin bro for uh, braving it for the masses. I'm so glad Ken Flo's here today because I am going on fumes. Thanks for pardoning the voice. Ian Gary said, I went to Brazil to listen. I am here today to listen to Ken Flo's brilliance on UFC 292 because my head is still spinning. What a live event. What a week in the hub of the universe, Boston, Massachusetts. Anything I say to the positive about the Boston crowd is probably going to be viewed through a lens of a lack of objectivity, but I don't even know what's going on half the time because I'm in the cans and listening to traffic. That crowd was so loud. Shout out to the New Englanders, the Bostonians, the Philadelphians, even the New Yorkers, everybody who made their way to TD Garden. Only thing we were really missing was, you know, three-time world title challenger, Kenny Ford. <laughs> Oh, man, I was jealous that I was not able to be there. Man. The energy, the vibe just seemed like it was insane in there. And, man, did they get a, a tremendous card. So real happy for everyone involved. Yeah, John, you're an animal, dude. I, I see this kid. He sends me an email like 4.50 in the morning. Like, huh. Hey, guys, this is what we're going to do tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, what the hell is this guy doing awake? You're an animal, dude. Well, I usually try to get you guys the odds for the main event challenge on Wednesday or Thursday, but it was a busy week in Massachusetts. We don't have that many Massachusetts athletes on the card these days, so I did some media on Thursday. The whole week was a whirlwind, but I'm super grateful for it. And uh, to take a Q&A stage with Rob Font and Calvin Cater and Joe Lozon and Chael Sonnen and address a Boston crowd and a Patrice Bergeron t-shirt, Ken Flo, I mean, oh. you know. I mean, it certainly is not a Sean Thornton T-shirt in Vancouver during the Stanley Cup final fighting Diego <laughs> Nunes and then going out and beating him in a somewhat hostile territory. But uh, it was pretty cool. And what was interesting is that I got to sort of write intros that for the Boston athletes. So fought Cater Lozon, the one that I introduced as arguably the best pound for pound fighter out of the state of Massachusetts. Of those three, which of those three do you think I introduced as such? And let me just say, yeah, six of Calvin Cater's 12 UFC fights have been main events, right? 
Right. Rob Font obviously has fought Jose Aldo and yep. recently Corey Sandhagen, a lot of high-level guys, tons of main events for Font as well. So I, for me, it was between those two guys with respect to Joe Lowe's on the bonus machine right. and the absolute legendary 28-time UFC veteran Ken Flo victim. But I just thought I'd have a little fun with it. So I was like, and arguably the best pound-for-pound fighter out of the state of Massachusetts. You think I went Rob Font or Calvin Cater? Cater. I went Rob Font. Ah, there you go. I went Look Rob Font. And Show now Cater probably hates me because uh, it's <laughs> National Holloway Fight Week and we brought back the artwork there behind us, <laughs> immortalizing what I believe is the greatest singular performance, certainly statistically in UFC Crazy. history. When we get to Zhang Wei Li and her nearly 300 significant strikes landed, do you remember how many significant strikes landed Holloway had against Calvin Cater? It's you like probably 700 don't. or some shit. Or something. <laughs> the volume is insane. I was shaking deep into the night. I went to interview him. I did this quick hit segment for Facebook. We were on Fight Island, and yeah. Max was like, you're shaking. I'm like, yeah, dude. Like, I've never seen anything like that. You're looking at us, telling us you're the best boxer in the UFC and landing. He landed 445 significant strikes. Jeez. It'll never be duplicated. But a lot to get to today, including predictions on Max Holloway and the Korean zombie Chan Sung Jung. But thanks to everybody at TV Garden for a memorable weekend, and uh, it was made more memorable, of course, by Sugar Sean O'Malley. I got a lot of merchandise for a lot of different fighters. Don't read too much into the Sugar Daddy t-shirt today. Longo coming up, by the way, in about 28 minutes. Perhaps he'll uh, read too much into the t-shirt. Ken Flo, there is a new UFC Bantamweight champion. It's Sugar Sean O'Malley. Doubt him at your own peril. Sometimes I wonder aloud why these guys that look to me like special strikers don't seem to uh, get the respect from either the fan base or their fellow fighters. Uh, Got to respect him now. Sean O'Malley's the new king, Ken Flo. And no question about it, John. You know, I think that we often doubt them, myself included, because grappling is such a key component to the game. And it's rare that you have someone that can negate much of that with, with footwork and long-range weapons alone. And O'Malley was largely able to do that. Now, of course, he was in some clinch situations. Even He was in some single-leg situations where he was able to get himself out of trouble up against the cage. So he certainly did his homework there and should be applauded for that. But I think what is more difficult is the ability to do it or to stop takedowns, to stop clinches with long-range weapons and footwork alone. The lateral footwork, the jabs, the feints, all the little things that people do not like doing in the gym, all the things that takes years and years to cultivate are the things that Sean O'Malley brought into that octagon on Saturday night. And Aljo looked frustrated. He looked confused. And that's what got him to get a little bit too greedy, a little bit too anxious, and he threw himself out of position. Now, against 90% of the people in the UFC, and a probably even higher percentage of that in the bantamweight division, which is absolutely ridiculous, by the way, it would have worked. It would have been just fine. But when you have a guy who knows how to counter who knows how to move just out of reach and land an absolute laser wherever he wants, whenever he wants to, Yeah, it, it spells trouble. And um, I was just mesmerized by that replay. of I just, I've probably seen it a thousand times, John. And, um, you know, the way I saw it is if it was going to go down, if O'Malley was going to win, it was going to be that shot. He's just so brilliant at throwing it. 
He was working it before the fight. He's thrown it a ton of times in other fights. And it was Aljo's forward movement, right, that crushed into that right hand yeah. of Sean O'Malley. And, man, just just a brilliant shot. And I have much more, but I'm going to take a pause. So Sean O'Malley's a special athlete, and I'd imagine that's part of the quotient as well when you talk about the feints and the sophistication of his striking game. There is a new wave of talent as far as the striking is concerned, and I certainly hesitate to call Israel Adesanya a new wave because he's been striking forever. But if you're talking about the 10 most sophisticated layered strikers or 10 best strikers in the UFC when you combine assets and traits, I mean, I speak superlatively about Ian Gary and Sean O'Malley, and oftentimes I get far more sophisticated MMA minds than me, you know, shucking me off. So how special an athlete are you? I mean, I understand the work ethic, and we'll get into his torn muscle and the rib cartilage and all of that, but how special an athlete are we dealing with, and how much of it is just that, you know, this kid's like Patrick Mahomes with his little fucking fade-back right hand. Yeah, listen, I, I think that he's much more than that, right? Because it's all the things that lead to that fade back right hand. And I think that he had a partner in Aljo that did make some mistakes, of course, right? But again, that's something that has been working for him time and time again. But yeah, Sean O'Malley is a special athlete. I think when you talk about his speed, his timing, his rhythm, his movement, th those are all things that are you know, very tough to cultivate, very tough to train. And then, of course, he was gifted with tremendous length, with reach, with height in the division where you just don't see that. And the fact that he's then able to utilize that and execute on that level is really what makes him special. So, uh, and again, similar to Izzy, you get a guy who is very tall for the division who knows how to utilize those long-range weapons at a very, very high level, and that spells disaster for the opposition. Uh, but in regards to Aljo, you know, I've heard a lot of people say, well, he overextended himself. What the hell does that mean? You know, it, it's like if, if he's throwing a strike, does that mean he's overextending himself? Well, to me, what it means is he's throwing himself out of position. He got his head a little bit too far over his hips. His hands were not up. And all of his whole body was pointed towards the weapons of Sean O'Malley, which is not a great thing, right? So when, you're, when you have that momentum, when your head is past your hips to that point, it's very hard to retract. It was a car accident waiting yeah. to happen in that moment. And O'Malley is just way too damn good with his speed, with his timing, with his weapons for you to do that to him. So, uh, again, it was just it was a perfect disaster. And it's another reminder that MMA is the sport where dreams get realized or they get crushed. And that's exactly what happened in that main event. Ray Longo is one of my dearest friends, and uh, I'm a little anxious for the Ray Longo minute today because the first thing Al Jermaine Sterling said on the microphone was that he underestimated Sean O'Malley. And I'm sitting yeah. here thinking, like, what? And then he said in the post-fight, presser that his footwork and lateral movement that of O'Malley were two things that, that he was underprepared for and that that surprised him and I understand the lack of time to prepare and we could spend a quarter of an hour on the champion sort of uh, being expedited to this date 15 weeks after 25 hard minutes with Henry Cejudo the injuries that perhaps Aljamain Sterling had for the first few weeks of camp that he had to navigate but you know, I have heard that Aljamain Sterling and Joe Rogan masterfully called him the best weight cutter in the sport. Kenny, 
There's no margin of error for Aljamain Sterling. He likes to have a drink or two, but when it comes to making 135 pounds, there's no error for this. There's no margin of error for this man. Had to make it twice in 15 weeks. A lot of different factors here, but uh, I, I just don't quite understand. What, what What is it? That he smokes weed? That he has facial tattoos? Like, what? It, what is it going to take for people to, you know, give Sean O'Malley his flowers and understand just how, how critical uh, time and space is when you fight him? John, I, you know, I, it's funny that you say that because it's something I've actually mentioned on it, and I do think it's a bit of a tactic. You're like... This guy, he's got clown hair. He's got, you know, rolls around in this real flashy Lamborghini. Like, certainly this isn't the guy, this skinny, lanky guy. This isn't the guy that's going to beat me. I'm not taking him seriously. Well, you need to because he's an absolute savage. And, you know, that's kind of a facade, a facade. But when you look deeper, this is a highly, highly skilled fighter. Now, I, I was also taken aback when I heard Aljamain Sterling say that, that I underestimated him. Uh, there's nothing in what I see in O'Malley's game on the feet where you should underestimate him because, you know, all of his fights, you know, his high-level fights against Piotr Jan or whatever, like he is a striker that you cannot replicate. You know, if so for me, I mean, Aljamain, I'd love to know who he was sparring with. First of all, who do you find that can fight like Sean O'Malley? And who did you bring in? Because if you're going in there and, and you're you're getting hard sparring against Marab or getting hard sparring against these other guys, that's great, hard sparring. But that is not Sean O'Malley. And you need to find someone that is as close to that man as you can. Because to me, when Aljo walked out to that fight in round one, he looked completely confused. He didn't know what to do. He was trying to gauge, get a handle on him. And, you know, reach, length, that's a real thing. And I feel like that hit him in the face before he was hit in the face, uh, if you know what I mean. And, you know, yeah. I, again, there, there's a fighter is responsible for their camp. Uh, of course, of course, coaches are responsible for that as well and who you bring in and all those things. Managers, perhaps, right? Yeah. They definitely take. So I guess I wonder as a team, as a unit, um, what kind of lesson learned this is going to be for the future? Because, you know, you do your homework, you watch your video, but then how well you prepare and who you bring in for that fight is so damn crucial. These aren't little regional fights. This is this is the UFC at the yeah. world championship level. So you can't mess about. Julian Rosa was one of the guys in Las Vegas that I was seeing in countdown trying to emulate Sean O'Malley. It all is what it is. And, uh, we're going to have an interesting Ray Longo minute coming up here shortly. I do want to go to the other side when it comes to the preparation because Tim Welch, as head coach, has devo devoted his professional life to Sugar Sean O'Malley, as has Augusto Tanquino Mendez, this close center circle. Brandon Harris, the performance coach, with all of the breathing and the techniques and the mechanisms, right? I'm actually going to have a conversation with Brandon Harris on his podcast, I think, in the not-too-distant future, and I can't wait to talk to him about me optimizing my diaphragm and how poorly I use it when broadcasting, right? I believe you're supposed to fill your stomach with air when you're uh, taking in a deep breath. And I don't always do that well, so much so that when I capped this Sean O'Malley fight and man, I have learned to not compete with a Boston crowd, right? Like someone fucking tell John Anik, right? Like if somebody knocks someone out in Boston and the guy who delivers the knockouts last name is like O'Malley, like, you got to give it, like, six seconds and then say, 
the sugar show on top of the world. Cause uh, man, was I drowned out, but dude, I was like seeing stars almost blacked out cause I don't use my diaphragm well. And I don't take a breath in that entire sequence, but these coaches have revolved their life around preparing this man. Great sparring partners at the MMA lab with Mario Bautista and everybody else. So they are all in and they have the pupil that uh, has this work ethic cloaked in like bong hits and, uh, People just can't be messing about, you know, like Gilbert Burns is one of the best fighters in the world. Bilal Muhammad is too, but it's like, you know, for Gilbert to, to fight Bilal with no, you know, it's like you, you, you can't really mess about at the elite levels when it comes to the preparation and the time. And that's why Drake is Duplessis is not going to Sydney in a few weeks. Right. Absolutely, man. And, and, you know, I know Aljo did have a problem with the, with the turnaround time right after his last fight against Cejudo. But still, I think there's more going on than just the time. I think the time was sufficient, but the preparation was probably lacking. And I've been there myself, man. You know, I, right before the BJ Penn fight, I had Mark Delagrati and Keith Florian as my main sparring partners in preparation for that fight, which is ridiculous. No no offense to Keith and, and, and Mark Delagrati, but yeah. I need to be bringing way better guys, and right. I didn't have that, right? I mean, I sure I brought in Hatsuhiyoki and this, but um, I, again, we all make mistakes, so I'm not trying to make, make it look like, uh, hey, I've never done that. Um, yeah. it, it, these things happen, and these are hard lessons to take in MMA, man. It's, it's a hard pill to swallow, uh, but they are absolutely essential. And we also have to talk about Aljamain Sterling. And I don't want to skip too far ahead, John, um, but the, the fact that he was so real and so honest about how he was feeling after that fight, I mean, saying like, well, I mean, I clearly have to think about going to 145, think about what Volkanovsky would do to me, you know, th- things like that and how he underestimated him. Like, those are things that you love to hear out of someone like Aljamain Sterling. And he was absolutely correct. I mean, you go back to what happened with him and Marlon Marais to what he did after that. He was a completely different fighter. And to go back to what you're talking about with O'Malley and the breathing, it is also our breathing that guides us, that puts us in the right frame of mind so we can be as present as possible, yeah. so we can execute as well as possible. When I saw O'Malley out there, and Aljo typically look always looks a little nervous and jumpy, but O'Malley, man, he just looked so composed, and he was just kind of taking everything in, like everything was happening in slow motion. He watch Aljo walk in. He was taken in the crowd. He was looking at his coaches. Just everything was on point. And that, to me, uh, you know, signa- you know, at least it signaled that he was going to be very difficult to beat. And um, so anyways, just kudos to O'Malley and his team, man. Just tremendous stuff. He's a big game player. You know, he was is- I better as a basketball player in practice or the games? I think you all could probably take a guess, right? Much better in practice, you know? <laughs> and I will be texting Keith Florian later today, Cody. Don't worry about that. What are we doing here in preparation for BJ Penn, guys? What are we doing with Mark Delagrati as the primary fucking sparring partner? So I don't necessarily want to see Aljo cut the weight anymore. Chael Sonnen and I were in unison in our belief that this was a missed opportunity, though, to not ask for an immediate rematch. And... Gosh, I mean, I have so many different things written down as far as the fight is concerned, the stoppage and everything else. Ray Longo, by the way, had to push back to 745. So uh, our man, big gun, Brian Petrie, shout out to you. But we might have to push you back a few minutes as well. So I don't want to see Aljamain Sterling cut down anymore. But 
these long reigning dominant champions get immediate rematches all the time, and he is certainly worthy of one. There are a couple of top contenders, May Rob Dwalish Willie, Corey Sandhagen, who are on the mend. Of course, there's the Cheeto Vera history. But to what extent do you think it was a missed opportunity for Aljamain Sterling? I mean, we all loved Aljo post-fight, right? I love the candor, the post-fight press conference. I, I just right. have so much respect for this man, and I could do 10 minutes on just the respect. But he, he cut himself down in advance of a potential move up to featherweight by saying, if this is what Sean O'Malley does to me, imagine what type of meat grinder Alexander Volkanovsky would put me through. And yeah. then didn't call for an immediate rematch, which I think he deserves. So do you think it was a missed opportunity by Aljamain Sterling in the octagon after the fact? You know, I, I don't really because it, I in the grand scheme of things, right, you could say business-wise it could have been, right? No question about it. Um, but I think that there's something to be said for a fighter being as authentic and honest as possible. And perhaps he wasn't all the way there to really think about that. Um, but to me, he was, and he was being as real as possible. And I think that sometimes after a loss, what you don't want to be is that dude who's like, ah, you know, now I, give me another one, give me another chance, yada, yada, yada. And then the reality of it is, I think, right, and this is just my opinion watching sure. from the outside in, is that the UFC probably wouldn't have given it to him Fair. anyway, you know, just because he already talked about going up and wait and that, you know, Again, I don't know what the relationship is between Aljo and the UFC, but to me, it doesn't seem like it's great. I, you know, I think it's been contentious o over you know the last couple of years or so, and you know, uh, you could argue that they were very happy that O'Malley is the champion, if we put it that way. And and listen, you know, from a stylistic standpoint and and from a business standpoint, yeah, I totally get it. O'Malley is an absolute killer who knocks people out. Who do you want in your highlight reel? I get it, right? Um, so I see that standpoint and, and can, can completely agree with that in that regard. But so I, I think that for him also, he he probably would have wanted more time. And then for him to say, I want this rematch, but I'm not going to fight him in six months, five months, seven right. months, eight months. It would have been asking a lot from the UFC. And he already knows that that probably would have been a tough ask. Aljamain Sterling did win the first round on all three judges' scorecards, but he certainly didn't have the productivity, let's say, in this fight that Valentina Shevchenko did in her first meeting against Alexa Grasso. One thing Joe Rogan was saying was that sometimes when there's a decisive result like this, you don't necessarily have the foundation for an immediate rematch. For me, I think first and foremost, it's exciting to push the reset button. You do have your dear friend Marab Dwalishwili there as a number one contender, so I think it might just be time to to move on to featherweight and see exactly what you can do there. There are a lot of big fights for him, potential main events for him there. So uh, we'll see what happens. But as his friend, I just wouldn't want him to necessarily cut this much weight uh, several yeah. more times hereafter. Uh, gosh, so much to get into as far as the stoppage is concerned, Ken Flo. No denying there's some inconsistency when it comes to these situations. I talk about these referees as having some of the harder jobs than MMA judges too. I believe Jason Herzog and Mark Goddard are the two best referees in MMA right now. I'm probably forgetting an elite referee in there as well. Uh, some might suggest that Goddard saved him some dignity by not actually having him go out cold with a few more ground strikes. No major protest from Aljamain Sterling. Huge protest from his right-hand man, Dwalish Willie. I'm sure Dominic Cruz would, would want to see Aljo get another beat or two and... Uh, I tend to lean that way, Kenny, uh, and thinking it was a skosh premature, even though I do like Goddard and give him the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, no no question about it. Mark Goddard is a fantastic uh, 
fantastic referee. And he was actually had refereeing duties the night before in, in New York for us at the PFL. And, you know, I think that um, I don't necessarily have a problem with it. I, if again, me, I know nothing about refereeing. I probably would have let it go a little bit more because yes, he was like uh, not all the way there, but Aljo was fighting his way back, right? It, to me, it looked like he was fighting his way back. When he turtled up at the, at the very end, though, that's when I was like, eh. Right. So I don't know, man. Um, I, I don't necessarily have a problem with it. There, it's clear Aljo was absolutely rocked. He was trying to battle his way back. Then it seemed like his legs and arms were kind of flailing, but not intelligently. He was just kind of his body was doing it, but his mind not maybe not right. necessarily. Sure. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I wouldn't have had a problem with it going a little bit longer, but I'm sure it would have probably led to more damage. So in that regard, I, right. I think it's a pretty solid hmm. stoppage. But when you have a champion, you, you kind of want to give him a little bit more of a chance to get back into it. But uh, yeah, yeah, it was it was a, it's it was a tricky thing yeah. because Goddard and the officials and rightfully so certainly don't want to hear the noise like this is a championship setting. They're in there to protect the fighter. And I think a lot of fans would rather see one more shot than one fewer. Right. More often than not, I would sort of be on the other side. I'd rather see a premature stoppage than a super late one that jeopardizes or impacts a career and brain health. Uh, but my goodness, these warriors in a championship setting, it's a, it's a really tricky thing. But, uh, the good thing is that Mark Goddard has established so much goodwill that, uh, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt every day of the week. We'll see if Longo has any thoughts on that coming up in about, uh, 12 minutes here on the DraftKings network. Good to have you with us on the Anakin Florian podcast as we continue to recap UFC 292. Now, in terms of the promotions appetite to have Sean O'Malley or Aljamain Sterling as the champion. Never before in UFC history, and I'm quoting MMA history today, has the promotion uploaded an entire pay-per-view main event to their YouTube channel immediately. Seems to be all hands on deck, Ken Flo, in terms of trying to bloat Sean, Malley into, Sean O'Malley into the next big thing. I'll be on SportsCenter tomorrow at 12.40 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and uh, those calls don't come in for me very often. This dude is about to take over, and uh, while I think it ambitious to suggest that he could get to a Conor McGregor level, I'm not going to start putting things past him on uh, his celebration Sunday. Yeah, I mean, listen, I think with everything he has going on, all the different businesses and side hustles he's got going on, um, you know, he may have not even needed this push, but but it's clear the UFC machine wanted to get behind him, and now they are activating. They're in activation mode, and that is a huh. very good thing for a fighter. And and it's rare that they even do that, right, for someone like that. And O'Malley, he's got that look, man. He, he's very unique. There's no one really like him, um, you know, and uh, – I don't know, man. Uh, I, I think he's going to be a huge, huge star. We talked about this on the last show. I said maybe it's not this time against Aljo, but at some point he's going to be a superstar. The time is now, man. The time is now. Yeah. It's that simple, and uh, I think it's well-deserved just based on his style and who he is. So if you don't know, oftentimes if you're watching SportsCenter after a pay-per-view, you might get a Sterling O'Malley highlight, and then you'll get a freeze frame when he actually lands that right hand. By them... <clears throat> distributing this fight to the masses. My daughter saw it on Snapchat. Don't judge me. She's not really on social media, only that application. My wife had seen this, right? They don't, 
engaged necessarily. This knockout is all over the goddamn joint, Kenny. And um, yeah. people just gravitate towards Sean O'Malley, right? As I said on the post-fight show, you don't have to be a master orator like Chael Sonnen to draw mass appeal and have the it factor. And, uh, you know, I watched Sean O'Malley's entire 23-minute media scrum, Ken Flo, and uh, I thought it was fucking brilliant. So, um, you know, this dude's got a lot of the... Uh, a lot of the package, if not the total package. I, I can always tell how big a fight is. This sounds kind of lame, but I can always tell how big a fight is when my wife kind of knows a little bit about it. You know, like she she knows that there's a fight going on, whatever, but she's like, hey, yeah, isn't that O'Malley guy fighting in the main event? And I'm like, you never know any of the names. You know, and she knew exactly who it was. We don't have cable. We don't watch television, but she knew about it. Uh, so, you know, that to me is usually an indicator when when the casuals know exactly who's fighting, when it's happening, and that it's going to be a pretty big fight. And then after they win, you know, everyone's kind of talking about, yeah, it's uh, it's it's a very big deal for the UFC and for O'Malley. So, uh, and again, you know, coming from where I came from, the lighter weight classes never got this kind of love, man. Right. This is a 135-pounder right. that is garnering all this attention. And when you put that into perspective uh, from where we were as a sport, you know, 10 years, 15 years ago, uh, it's 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 quite the accomplishment. It, it Quite the accomplishment. It's, it's incredibly impressive. There have been a lot of Bantamweight title fights on free TV, so to speak, right? Even Dominic Cruz and TJ Dillashaw fighting for the belt in 2016 was a UFC fight night. This was Aljamain Sterling's second UFC main event. Right. Sean O'Malley can headline at 135 pounds. That is a tremendous luxury for the promotion. So as we spin this thing forward, Sean O'Malley has torn cartilage of some kind or a torn muscle below the rib, wasn't able to grapple for five or six weeks. It limited his sparring. I think it makes this feat all the more impressive. And I think it certainly, as he alluded to on the post-show, contributed to some of his nerves that he wasn't able to put in the requisite work. And I think it's astonishing that Aljamain Sterling was 0 for 2 for takedowns. And gosh, there's so much we can get into. But uh, I think at this point, it's optimistic to think that he's going to be able to fight Marlon Chido Vera in December. But you know, right. once again, the stars seem to align for Sean O'Malley if you don't want to fight Marab Wallace Willie or Corey Sandhagen in title defense number one. And I say that with all due respect to the magnificent challenge that is Marlon Chito Vera, but it looks as though uh, if everybody's healthy, it is going to be uh, UFC 296 probably. Well, unless it's Leon Edwards and Colby as well, but UFC 296, O'Malley v. Chito 2. And it's a great fight, man. You know, obviously you have the history, you have the style matchup, you have two guys that really are not very fond of each other, two guys that are extremely aggressive, that are great strikers. They both fight on the same, they both fought on the same night last night. It, it, it's a great story, you know, um, send it. Yeah. So congratulations to Sean O'Malley, to his entire team, Augusto Tanquino Mendez, Tim Welch, Brandon Harris, everybody else. My twin bro was sitting with Sean O'Malley's family, and he said they are just outstanding people. So you can feel good about that. Sean O'Malley has moved almost his entire family from Montana to Arizona. His dad is the lone holdout, but I think they're going to get him there soon. And uh, to be able to financially do that for your family, right? Sorry, Mom. Can't buy you a house yet. Can't buy you a house yet. <laughs> Actually, we're never going to be able to buy you a house, Mom. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. My late stepfather, no, my late father-in-law, would always say play the lottery. And I'm not talking scratch tickets, folks. 
Go play your state lottery. Play the tickets like every day of the Mega Millions. Change your life. All right, so Longo's going to join us quickly, and I almost hesitate to pivot off of this fight, uh, but I am going to do that and get to Ian Machado, Gary, and Zhang Wei Li and some of these other performers at UFC 292. Magnum Zhang Wei Li defends her title here. She told me in the fighter meeting, as thoughtful a fighter meeting as I can ever remember being a part of, by the way. I mean, my goodness, you know, we felt like we were talking to fucking Bruce Lee, you know. Uh, <laughs> 50 to 43, 50 to 44, 49, 45, all hail Zhang Wei Li. Uh, I don't know what to have for us on the Dars defense as well. The one time she was threatened in the fight, but uh, just an incredible performance that had everything to it, including submission defense. Yeah, listen, I, I had I had a feeling, I had a gut feeling this is going to be a grappling-heavy game plan, and that's exactly what we got. Some great exchanges on the feet, for sure, but I think she realized that the easiest path to victory was taking this fight to the ground. Um, there was one point where it did look like it was pretty tight. I think the angle made it a little bit too difficult um, for Lemos to finish, um, it, it was tight, but I think the angle w was not quite there on it. And it yeah. definitely seemed like it was something Pacheco was looking to have uh, up her sleeve to try to catch uh, Zhang Wei Li off guard. But um, this is a woman that really did her homework. And John, absolutely, I could see that, you know, her being very charismatic at that meeting. Um, first of all, kudos to her for trying to learn English, which is extremely difficult. Um, she has made major, major improvements. She didn't know one word of English uh, when she started in this sport. To see where she's at just shows right. her intelligence and her dedication exactly. to that, which is awesome. And then seeing some of the countdown stuff, you know, with her uh, behind the scenes. I, I probably said the show wrong, but um, you know, you know, just the behind the scenes stuff. She just seems like an absolute sweetheart, just a very kind human being. But then she gets in that cage, dude, and she turns into something very, very far from that. Uh, just just amazing to watch, man. Just a tremendous athlete. We always talk about that. But she does her homework. She has improved her technical skills on the ground, on the feet so much. Good luck trying to beat her. All right, so I'm here with my Zhang Wei Li fighter card, and I just want to write down. I go into these fighter meetings with most of my notes done. These are the things that I wrote down based upon our fighter meeting, perhaps you'll find this interesting. So she reads a lot about Chinese culture, right? If I'm Tatiana Suarez listening to the Anakin Florian podcast, I'm like, God damn it. Fucking Zhang Wei Li reading about Chinese culture, fucking getting better every day. Said she was going to wrap around her like water. I fight against my laziness every day. I fight myself every day. Discipline. Regaining the title is hard. Defending it is harder. Sees herself as the real opponent. Just relaxed and much happier in there than ever before. And then she sees untapped potential and improvements when we ask where she is relative to her fighting prime. So, uh, yeah, she was certainly like water. And, uh, my gosh, she's a real problem. And it doesn't really matter, I guess, whether or not she's the number one pound-for-pound -pound women's mixed martial arts athlete in the world. I think Larissa Pacheco is cannonball coming, to be sure. And there's some other fighters in that conversation as well. I think Aaron yeah. Blanchfield and Tyler Santos, both fighting this weekend, are two of the top 11 pound-for-pound women in the world or right as far as the ufc is concerned so there's a lot of talent in the women's game right now but um we got to give Zhang wei li all her flowers as far as her next title defense is concerned kenny 
So China's far from South Florida, but the foundation could be laid for Yan Xiaonan as title challenger against her countrywoman, Zhang Weili. You could also do Zhang Weili, Tatiana Suarez, seemed as though Zhang Weili expressed an appetite to that for that in her post-fight comments. Uh, what do you think they do with Zhang Weili, Tatiana Suarez, Yan Xiaonan seem to be the, the most prominent names, and uh, do you have a preference of those two? Yeah, I would say Tatiana Suarez probably makes the most amount of sense. Um, you know, I, I don't know what the appetite is to have two females from China do it at this this stage of the game. I, I think Xiaonan uh, definitely uh, there's a case there for sure. I yeah. think the stylistic matchup of Tatiana Suarez and her recent uh, win makes it a little bit more interesting to me. Um, and it's not exactly clear who I think is going to win. For a long time, I didn't think there was anyone out there that would be able to beat someone like a Tatiana Suarez. But yeah. when I see the improvements that Zhang Wei Li is making and has made, um, she's a problem. And the fact that she's actually shorter, stockier makes it that much more of a problem. When you're trying to get underneath someone's center of mass, when you're trying to attack those legs, um, you want them to be nice and tall, right? So you right. can do that in some ways. It makes right. striking more difficult, but to enter into their legs, it makes it that much more challenging when you're shorter and stockier. So right. uh, sign me up. I love that fight. You sound like that Argus integrated defense guy there a little bit. You know that? <laughs> All right. So, uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. Right. I just feel like sort of like lifetime achievement award for Tatiana Suarez. She's been through so much yeah. that I would absolutely give her the title fight. Right. So much in terms of, you know, thyroid cancer taking away her Olympic dreams and then major injuries taking away years potentially of her mixed martial arts career and or prime. Lorenzo Fertitta always would say strike while the iron is hot. And metrically, I don't know what's a bigger fight, Tatiana Suarez or Yan Xiaonan. I do believe Yan Xiaonan can play the heel in China. And yes, there's a healthy appetite for that fight. Like I can actually wrap my head around that long trip because that gets my blood boiling. Like that's an exciting fight for me to see those two go head to head. But I do yeah. think Tatiana Suarez has to have the inside lane right now and uh, just got to give her that championship opportunity. I think she has deserved it. All right. Ian Machado Gary. Over Neil Magny by unanimous decision. One of the scorecards was 30 to 24. Don't necessarily have a problem with it. This man is uh, is just married to the game and does an open workout in an impromptu fashion at an Irish pub in Boston the night before the fight. He loves the preparation, Kenny. His ears are as open as his mind. He is about to buy a house in Brazil, which I think is going to be his primary home, at least right now. And he's going to sort of get away from this nomadic life that he has been living. But uh, again, I just don't think people uh, understand the gravity of how good this guy is. But you know what? Ray Longo has uh, has made his way back from Boston to Garden City, New York. So uh, let us get to uh, Raymond Peter Longo. And uh, we really appreciate this man. <laughs> you doing okay? Are you at the gym right now? I stopped at the gym, so I wouldn't have made it. But listen, I love you guys, and I would do anything wow. for you. But this was, this was insane. I had, uh, thank God, Bazooka did a great job driving, but it took us five hours, which wow. should oh. be a, like a three-hour, three-and-a-half-hour trip maybe. But, uh, you know, and then at the last minute, I Quinto, I sent you the video. That's why I say there's luggage in the seat. Oh, I didn't you know, get it. In between my wife and I, Quinto, there's a suitcase. You know, everybody was jammed in there. You couldn't see out the back window. But yeah, that's the way, that's the way, man. And that's, you know, I think that's going to be the gist of this whole 
talk today, but uh, what yeah. I, I tell you, three months ago, you come off two great wins, you go into this. It's it's the fight game, man. It's a crazy, crazy thing. But emotionally, if you're not grounded and you don't have your priorities straight, you will definitely get swept out to sea. But uh, let's hit it, man. Kenny's good All to right. see you, buddy. Great to see you. All right, we have a lot yeah. to get into. But I do want to start on a lighter note because you sent me a video yeah. in the car driving back with Dennis yeah, yeah, Bazooka yeah. and Ally Quinta. And you're like, we're coming, John, you know, and no, yeah. I, just I just don't want, want to get this want... reputation no, as no, a dictator you... who's like yeah. hazing you to get yeah. back so we can no, do the Anakin no, Florian no, no, podcast. No. no, no, I just wanted to let you know, man, I'm trying. I really yeah. did. No, first, of course. At first, seven o'clock seemed good. And then I was like, holy shit, man, with traffic, who the hell knows, you know, but we made it. We're that's here. All that ma- that's all that matters, man. This we show revolves it. around you. Well, we uh, we appreciate you extending yourself uh, to be sure. We're glad that you made it home safely. Yeah. So, yes, this sport is a whirlwind. Uh, thrill on one side, agony on the other. And there's a lot to get into as yeah. far as this main event is concerned, as far as Chris Weidman's comeback is concerned and everything else. Uh, and you making the trek, of course, from Vegas to Boston, yeah, I mean, crazy. I know, man, I know. Yeah, I, so I guess I would just like to start with Aljamain Sterling taking the microphone after the fight and saying that he underestimated Sean O'Malley. And uh, I don't necessarily intend to put you on the spot, but, uh, yeah, you know, I feel like Aljamain Sterling is not alone in terms of not necessarily understanding the magnitude of, uh, of how maybe good this guy is. Is that fair to say? I would think so. Look, the guy's the guy's good. He, he's a great striker, and there's no question about it. Look, all three judges gave Aljo the first round, and I think deservingly so. But, you know, in between rounds, I really told Aljo, let's go kick heavy. It's offsetting his punches. I mean, I, what I was looking at in the first round was a guy that didn't want to commit. I think he was afraid of the takedown. He was, I, I think we, and we knew that was going to happen, but uh, I, I wasn't really sure. I think O'Malley expected Aljo to do in the first round what he did in the second round. And Aljo's point was that he could have made it like an Adesanya-Romero fight, but the, you know it would have been so unappleasing to the crowd, which I'm surprised because normally he doesn't talk like he gives a shit about the crowd. But he did, he did say that because I think the burden would have been on Sean. He would have been down two rounds. If Aljo just does the same thing in the first round, I don't think he was making a move. Now, I think it was because he was waiting for Aljo to shoot in, but then somebody said he did have a bad rib. Maybe that played into it, too, that he was just going to keep his distance. But motherfucker was accurate. He hit a beautiful counter. I mean, you know, I'm a striking guy. I love it. And, you know, hats off to him, man. He caught Aljo coming in. And, uh, you know, normally Aljo, you know, goes for the leg a little differently off of the cross. But – uh. He caught him. Nobody else has been able to find Aljo's head, uh, but um, that's off to him. I got nothing but, uh, you know, respect for what he did. So, uh, you know, great, great, great counterpuncher. And Aljo did say the movement against the cage, you know, was was a little frustrating. But he was winning, and all three judges had him winning. And I think that was the that would have been the way the fight would have won. It wouldn't have been exciting, but then it would have been on Sean to make it exciting, and then who knows what would have happened. That that's a great point, Ray, and it gets me wondering how much of that, or maybe the lack of patience on the part of Aljo, had to do with him, you know, because had to do with the trash talk going back and forth, and the fact uh, that yeah. you know UFC had this guy in O'Malley, he's uh, the exciting guy, Aljo's the uh, kind of you know tactical grappler. Yeah, 
I look at it. it uh, you don't have to ask him, but it, it appears that it, you know, has played into a look. He, it, it, it is what it is. But, you know, he did make the walk after three months. He 100% didn't want to do it a couple of months ago. But once he committed, he had a good camp. There's absolutely no excuses. But, uh, you know, the UFC wanted what they wanted, and they got what they, they, got what they wanted for sure, you know? Yeah. Kenny, I just want to jump in here, but yep. it, I, we can't just bury that, right? <clears throat> right? Like yeah. 25 hard minutes 15 weeks ago. And yeah. I'm just quoting Aljamain Sterling, footwork and lateral movement he said he was underprepared for, right? And, you know, so much of the first three, four weeks, I'm just saying we're about yeah. getting his injuries right. And this fight happened on the challenger's timeline, and it is part of the discussion thereafter. Yeah. You know, that's all. I'm not uh, trying to make excuses. I'm not trying to make excuses. O'Malley was, you no, know, no, injured no, no, to whatever no, degree, no, no, but this might happen on the challenger's timeline. That's all. Yeah, without a doubt. There's no question about it. it look, all the, all the, it, it, I don't think it's a secret that everything's stacked against them, but I don't, I don't want to take away anything. I mean, it's a great, I, I know what it feels like, man. I know what it feels like three times, and I'm happy for uh, Welsh. And they did a great job with the guy. And, you know, God bless them that they got the machine behind them. You know what I mean? I, I was never that lucky. You know what I mean? With, with all of the champions, they had to really earn it and fucking fight their way to it. And, and this could look, this could prove it too. So I want those guys to enjoy the, 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 the success just like I did, and just like Aljo did. And it's, a, it's all good. You know what I mean? It really is. But um, go ahead. I'm sorry. Ray, no worries. No, uh, was there any discussion – between you and, and Aljo and the rest of the squad about, um, you know, the, the training partners that you guys, I know it was very early after, but because yeah. I'd imagine it'd be very difficult to find a sparring partner that can replicate the length yeah, and right. the style and speed of someone like O'Malley. But was there any discussion about that of how that sparring went and maybe how that could be adjusted in the future or, you know, we, I'm going to say, and like, again, you'd have to really, Aljo because he's always has a different perspective on it but yep. we had lanky tall guys in there so I think he okay I I think uh, what, what I didn't see in the training was you know cutting off the octagon with the footwork and we kind of knew he was going to do it but I figured Aljo would just make that adjustment uh you know in there but but, but the guy does yeah. move really really well so yeah. it, it even if it threw him he still won the round you know what I mean so he can move all he wants if Aljo wanted to stand in the center of the octagon, then he would have had to come to him. So it is tactically, I think that's an easy fix. That's not nothing crazy, but he does, he moves well. So, but it wasn't like he lost the round because of that. But I think it may be, you know, uh, confused him enough to make him leap in a little, the range. He was having a hard time getting the range. Yeah. And I think he was feeling it out. It would have been nice to have another second round exactly like the first round because then one either one of those guys was going to have to make something happen or it was yes. going to be a, a, like a, a shitty fight. But we so were, but I believe bullying. if we – yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry, John. No, you go. It's a very long no, go. minute. It's your show. No, 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 your so, fucking show. And I think if it would have did that, I would have liked to have seen how it played out. But, uh, again, the fact that he said he actually brought up Adesanya Romero, I said, man, it's just about getting the W. Don't mean you have nothing to prove, man. Right. Like – you know, I yeah. think as much as he says it doesn't bother him, I'm confused over the hatred this guy gets. This guy's a good guy. You see the way he handled the microphone. He's not making excuses. He walked out of that fucking octagon like a man. You know what I mean? You hear his story at the press conference. I'm almost in tears. You know what I mean? Like, 
I, I, I just really hope I could be a mentor to the guy and he knows that I always have his back as an older person. You know what I mean? Like maybe, you know, he might have missed that growing up a little bit, but he's yeah. a good dude. I'm telling you right now, the guy's yeah. a good dude. So when I hear this type of hatred, like coming out of the octagon, it's like, fuck you. Out. I mean, like, it's not even yeah. like boo, you know, it's it's. Yeah, it's getting personal. Like I, I don't know where it's coming from, but you know, I that's like again, it's part of the game, I guess. You know, when oh, like I said, insane. it's insane, man. You know, so it's uh, well, you know, I'll tell you where it's look- coming from. Yeah, and you know ahead. where it's coming from. He's the only fighter in UFC history to win the undisputed title by way of disqualification, and then there have been other that circumstances surrounding title defenses, and uh. But no, I mean, don't I don't want to get frustrated and sad today. He was just dripping yeah. with class after the fact, and he was almost yes, too honest. He was almost too honest as far as some things were concerned. By the way, I he's, just read a text from you. Yeah. Dennis Bazooka is gunning it. Like you're making me sound like a pledge marshal trying to no, get that, you wait, to the show. Wait, that I feel that awful. Was Cody. That that wasn't me. That was Cody. Oh, now I feel much better. He's just messing around. But, but Dennis Bazooka was gunning it. <laughs> right, your wife's probably like, John doesn't I'm, pay I'm enough look, for us to be I'm look, going I'm this look, fast I'm, on the highway. I'm giving my wife an A-plus this trip. She put up with a lot of, she put up with a lot of shit. She was, she's right. absolutely awesome. So I try not to speak out of both sides of my mouth, but I did think it was a miss by Aljamain Sterling to not ask for the immediate rematch after the fact, even if you have no intention of taking it and you want to leave the division. I think he's conflicted really because he has Marab Dwalish Willie, you know, on the brainstem in that moment. And he's always sort of that unselfish type who wants to put his guy forward. Right. But I also don't necessarily want to see him cut down to 135 pounds a million more times. So what can you tell us? Probably nothing. But what do you think? I mean, he did at the post-fight press conference say, I would like to think that I've earned my right to get an immediate rematch. I'm going to remember this night for a very long time. It's going to fuel me for just bigger and greater uh, things. Oh, I'm going to say he's going to look at that fight no less than 950,000 times because that's huh. the, that's who he is. I mean, and I hope he does. I, I, I told him, go on vacation, enjoy yourself, man. Don't, please don't beat yourself up over this. I think he, he has his priorities straight. He knows what to concentrate on, but Getting to the rematch thing, he could say whatever he wants. The UFC is going to do what the UFC is going to do. You could bark and cry all you want, especially him. Then they're not going to, you know, uh, because he's asking for it. But with that said, Sean Shelby, and I hope I'm not mis- misstating this. I mean, in the back, I was delirious, but Sean Shelby said, Do you want a rematch? Aljo said, 100%. I 100% want the rematch. Oh, wow. Uh, and so he did. There was talk. I mean, I'm going to say Sean asked him. He said it. And so I'm I'm saying he's getting a rematch. Good. I mean, they said the numbers were outstanding for big, the biggest bantamweight pay per view. Is that that true? Wow. Somebody told me. Oh that. yeah, sure so, it was. You know they they're going to be dictated by money. It doesn't matter now who who it is. That's a if they made if they made a bank on that thing, they'll do it again for sure. So Sean did say that. Aljo said 100. percent No questions about it. Uh, and I think that's, uh, you know, that's where we are. So, and I think he will make the adjustments. You know, I think he's got a uh, a good idea of what ha- He knows exactly what happened. That's that's the good news. Yeah. He knows yeah. he overextended himself at the wrong time. And, you know, whatever. But, but again, I have beautiful, beautiful counterpunch. 
All right, that's some real behind-the-scenes intel there from Ray Longo. You got no, no, anything on the Rob timeline? No, that that's it's very good. That that's interesting. He's going. I think that's he what we're talking Los, about, Ray. Well, you he, know, he, he peeling back the Los curtain a little bit. You know, <laughs> he, not fucking keeping everything so close to the vest. You know, <laughs> he flew to Los Angeles today to see the doctor, so we'll have more of an idea on his timeline when he comes back. All right, but he did well, smack about four people this whole weekend. Yeah, he was smacking I a bet. lot of people. He, I bet he's like he he should go into slap that slap league. I think <laughs> you know that you know that somebody was hassling Pedro Munoz's wife, and Marab slapped the guy right in the face. The guy ran good away. Good, you know. Imagine that. Good the guys are being a piece of shit to Pedro. Was he from Boston or, or Philly? Boston, Bostonian or Philadelphian? <laughs> I don't. I don't know. Definitely wasn't a New Yorker. You guys can be assholes, though, huh? No? I guess. I don't know. It is. It is <laughs> I guess. By the way, times... someone came up to me. Someone came up to me in Boston, and this guy knew exactly what to say to get a photo, right? He's like, hey, he's like, I'm not a minute man. <laughs> <laughs> right? Oh, that's I'm good, like, that's man. what's up. Me neither, man. Me that's fucking what, neither. That's what, I, that, that's what I got to do. I got to start sending people over to you. That's going to be a good gig. That's funny. It's gonna be That's fun. a good bit. By the way, it's guy said he wasn't a minute man. <laughs> I just got a text from my wife because my son, I think, wanted to make uh, have a cameo on the Anakin Foreign podcast tonight at 8 oh, p.m. Nice. Eastern. He's a I'm cutie. That my kid. voice. Is, oh, thank you. It's uh, I'm not. I don't know if my voice is going to hold up if I keep uh, acting like a lunatic. <laughs> so uh, I get. I, I guess I would just say, and we have to get to Chris Weidman. I just have so much respect yeah. for Aljamain Sterling and. Uh, yeah, you know, my heart does go out to him as far as uh, as the the venom that that seemingly comes his way, even in the tri-state area in New Jersey, which was nothing if not stunning. Um, and if I'm being completely honest, sometimes he can be a little bit quirky and and not maximize yeah, yeah. the mic time. But this weekend he did. And even if uh, I thought he was almost too honest after the fact, uh the numbers on his post-fight comments on the internet are just absurd. And uh, I just have so much respect for him. And, and as far as his UFC Bantamweight resume is concerned, uh, you know, I'm not saying he's the best fighter skill for skill the division's ever seen, but let me know when somebody surpasses his, his UFC Bantamweight resume in terms of accomplishments. There you go. I, I agree 100%. Well, you look, Look, John, at the end of the day, man, it's how you carry yourself as a person, right? And these are all little life lessons to see who you are. And I think his character is really unbelievable, the way he spoke about Weidman at the press conference and the way he spoke about his upbringing and, you know, how he beat the odds and made it. This, this is a little bleep. I know it sucks. Nobody wants to lose. I'm a fucking sore loser. Trust me. I've learned yeah. how to come, like, do this. Like, I don't care how bad it is. I'll always come on and do the show and try to handle myself with, you know, uh, grace and, you know, dignity. But, you know, uh, this is what, what molds you. This is what really makes you. And I'm, I'm so happy for these guys, the way they handled themselves in defeat. And look, you can't keep going up and up and up. You know what I mean? That's why I kind of, I always say this. I love what Khabib did. He quit while he was on top. He, he had yeah. a great resume and you never have to deal with this. You know what I mean? And, it might be harder to do what Khabib did than even go out, you know, even after a loss. So it's all good. But I think, uh, again, these guys handle themselves like gentlemen. They walk out like men. And that's it, man. You know, I, I got a really nice text that 
you know, it was something to the effect that, you know, my 11, I'm, I'm proud to say I could let my 11 year old son watch, you know, the post fight interviews and, you know, yeah. be proud of what he's going to hear. You know what I mean? So there's a message in there and I, I can't, I just can't say enough about it. it, it I, I couldn't give a shit, man, really about, yeah. I, I, I want everybody to win, but they're, they're just all winners in life. And I, I don't, yeah. I don't think you could put a price on that, man. He he knows where his priorities are. I, had a, I think I had a good chat with him. Um, and that's it, you know. Just make sure that guy's son doesn't listen to your foul mouth on the Anakin Florian podcast. <laughs> right. That's a another, guy, another guy that yeah. you can be really proud of is, is Chris Weidman, who, you know, showed the heart of a champion, the determination yeah. that he showed out there. Again, just – Coming back to fight is a huge accomplishment, but can you talk a little bit about what you thought about uh, Chris's performance in his first time back since that uh, devastating leg break? Yeah, look, man, I think Chris is a winner all, all around. I'm ha- I'm happy for Chris with this fight. I mean, just the fact that you know he came back from the injury, he's getting older. It's a two and a half, two and a half year, you know, layoff. I mean, that's a lot to overcome without an injury that injury was actually worse than anderson silvers because his bone came through the skin which they say is really bad so uh the fact that he went in there and um you know fought a tough hawaiian dude man who's a who's a super nice guy uh i thought that second round was phenomenal he had the whole crowd cheering for him you know what i mean he had a lot of support right john uh, oh my there. gosh! Uh, which and I in the second round when he was like waving him in, or, or I think he might have said, "Are you kidding me? You're kicking me!" I think he he told him, "Yeah, you're yeah. kidding. You're kicking me in my my bad leg." <laughs> like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> His walkout was unbelievable. It's the only time in twelve yeah. years for me on a UFC microphone where I was like trying with my arm trying to get the crowd going at one point. And I've never done that before. Right. It was like yeah, an out of body yeah, experience. Was... And I don't like New Yorkers. It was really cool. <laughs> <laughs> so listen, I mean, ESPN covered the whole since the leg break to now. And I think it's yeah. going to make for a great story. It'll be inspirational. That's what I was kind of telling him. Uh, just the fact that you made that walk and he, he got his legs beat up and that's gotta be look like again, He's a special cat, but man, you you had a bad break on that leg like that. You're getting your legs chewed up, both of them. You know that that other leg. He had a softball coming off. I guess he the kick with it or did something, but uh, just crazy, man. Just, just my hat goes off to him. It, it just was great seeing his family. The kids are growing up, you know, because he he moves, so you don't get to see anything. So. I think we're coming at it from a different angle. Like, again, everybody wants to win, but all these guys have done really great. They've changed their lives, and that, to me, that's what it's all about. I'm not, I'm not going to cry over spilt milk. There's nothing you could do about it. Even, you know, people said, you know, the fight was stopped too early. You know, if I'm the ref, I'm not stopping the fight. No, I wouldn't have stopped the fight there, but I, I can't complain with it either. You know what I mean? But Aljo was 100% coherent in the right after the fight and right after the fight in the back. So, you know, I would have liked to see that a little differently. But besides that, yeah. it's all good, man. We move anything on. Anything going you know, on? We're moving anything, on and we'll move on as a team. Ray, any injuries uh, that, that Chris sustained from that last fight? Obviously, he took a lot of light kicks. Any Anything else that, that happened? Uh, 
that you know of? No, no injuries like that. I, I think the calf kicks, you know, uh, you know, he wasn't walking. Both legs were beat up. So I don't think anything – I hope not. You know, he's going to have to get that – the leg he had the surgery on, you know, uh, an MRI to make sure everything was all right. But uh, we'll see how that goes. But besides that, I think it was, you know, just the calf kicks. And, look, the way he fought through that, I thought, you know, most guys would have stopped, I think. But oh, yeah. He kept trying to make the fight, you know, so – guy is so valiant and uh and just affable and lovable and uh just for him and his family uh i'm just so happy they were able to get through this experience and um but i will say in terms of the post-fight visuals that i saw the left knee was the one that Tavares primarily destroyed he did a lot of damage to the right leg as well the surgically repaired right leg ray but the right leg was the one that was being iced and the left leg was not. And Dr. Yeah. Davidson seemed to intimate to Dana White, who said at the post-fight press conference that he thinks maybe there might be an ACL or an MCL or something. The right knee, the right leg, I think Chris seems concerned about. No, no, Is that no. not well, true? You're looking at me like I'm was, crazy. No, that's not, no, that's not true, what you said. Okay. The, the ice was okay. on the right leg. He had no ice on the left yes. leg. And his ACL. That, correct. That's what, right. Oh, you said the... You said, no, no, the left leg got attacked, but he had no ice there. Correct. I'm saying the ice was on the right, the, the surgical yes. leg. Right. That's, that's, a, that's a fact. Uh, Correct. I'm saying the ACL is 100% not torn. Good. Great. All right. Well, yes, I'm saying, uh, I don't know. I don't know. Who, 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 who made that? Because I, I didn't, I don't know, unaware of that. I could be totally off base, but if you go watch Dana White's post-fight press conference, I think there was some communication with the doctor, and I think Dana said, I forget which CL or something that maybe they could be concerned about. But, yeah, he'll get an MRI, and we'll see. But he was very clear about not wanting to retire, whether or not he was privy to Dana White's comments about wanting him to retire, I don't know. Uh, am I putting you on the spot if I uh, if I ask you what you think about all of that stuff? I know you're no. not in the business of retiring your own fighters, but I don't no. mean to put you on the spot. <laughs> That's a, what, what's the question? <laughs> oh, it's that There's crazy. No question, out right when you were going to ask, what? is your wife just no, hanging out question, at the gym man? waiting to go home? I, I, you know, <laughs> wait, hold on. A <laughs> I don't know if he's oh, hearing me as well as <laughs> Phil. Me, you weren't here. Oh, she's here. She's behind. No, no, I'm not. So I would like to let you people go home. You want to say I would like to let you people go home. Oh no, no, no! But no. So wait, let me just get that. So Dane, your connection is starting to sour. Tired of snooty wines and their old wine culture. Confused by words like malolactic fermentation? Yeah, we are too. So with 19 Crimes, you can do the fancy schmancy tilt-sip smell routine, or don't. 19 Crimes is the rebel of wine and culture, telling the stories of rogues and rule breakers who overcame adversities. From convicts banished to Australia, to the legendary icon Snoop Dogg himself, 19 Crimes wine is defiant by nature, bold in character, and always uncompromising. 19 Crimes, the official wine of UFC. Pick up in stores nationwide or online at 19crimes.com. Enjoy responsibly. 2024, 
Sonoma, California. Cody, perhaps we can reconnect with this handsome godfather, Ray Longo. His wife was about to come in. But I'd like to let these people go home. I mean, my goodness. This is really not going to help my public approval rating with the listenership that, <laughs> you know, these people all rushed from this very challenging weekend to the gym instead of their homes to do this silly little podcast. We have Ray Perman. Cody's for- got a lot more patience than I do keeping this freeze frame right now. Yeah, he's like, give me a sec to fix this. <laughs> there we go. He's back. Uh, yeah, baby. What do we got? Retirement talk. <laughs> <laughs> I might be, no, I, I might be slap happy at this point. I might start to <laughs> No, we're stupid, done. We're done. We want to give oh, you a chance for some final comments. Uh, yeah, I was very moved by Aljamain Sterling in our fighter meeting, talking about sort of the lack of parental support that he had as a kid and for his senior year of high school, like trying to beg his parents to show up for things. And um, yeah. he was very, very impacted in life by that lack of support. And, uh, you know, I hope yeah. the fan base will just uh, give the guy a fucking break. Well, he's got me now. I'll show up at his graduation next time. Oh, there you go. Okay. All right. Hey, why don't you people go home and uh, much love to the wife all and family. Right. And uh, I know awesome. you're dealing with an injury and we wish you all the best. We'll talk to you next week. Good okay? man, Ray. Rest up. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'll see you uh, next week. I got going in for surgery this week. So say a prayer for me. Hey, <laughs> you see, my me man. Walking, you, man. see me walking with the cane. Awesome guys. I love you guys, man. It was uh unfortunately it was a bad night, but obviously it's it's part of the game and I'm happy for all the other people that, you know, know what I went through with the happiness and um, yeah. it's 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 all good. I enjoyed a moment yeah. uh Sean with your team and uh you know we'll see you in there again. All right, we love you, buddy. Oh, we wish yes. you all the I'll best. And Stefania Bell right. told me in eight days you're gonna be great. So uh we'll see oh, you soon, yeah. okay? Oh, she's the She's the best man. Really like her, man. Yeah. Awesome. All right, buddy. Sleep I'll talk well. To you later. There he right, is. Bye. The Thanks. Ray Longo Minute every week here on the Anakin Florian podcast. My goodness. His wife's probably like, what is going on? Like, <laughs> have them send you a check. Dude, but I mean, you got to think about at that age. All right. Because Ray, Ray's been doing martial arts longer than we've been alive. You know, and then he's still doing this thing. He cornered. In Boston, he drove five hours to New York. He's like, "Oh yeah, yeah." I, by the way, we got to stop at the gym so I could do the podcast. His wife's got to be like, "Are you kidding me?" And he's still doing this at sixty, whatever. I don't know how old he is, but like this, it's unbelievable. So, Ray, thank you again, and uh, we'll be thinking of him um, as he's getting surgery on the hip this week. Right? Yes, he's getting his hip replaced. And if you have seen him limping around and having a hard time, especially on the decline. You'll be very happy to know he's going to get fixed. And uh guy's going to be a million bucks next week here on the Anakin Florian podcast. All right. We have a lot more to get into when it comes to UFC 292. I do want to go three wide and uh, bring big gun Brian Petrie into the conversation because he's been waiting patiently as uh, the New Yorkers work their way back to uh, to Garden City. What's up, big gun? What's going on, boys? What's going on, boys? So uh, we like that Petrie dulcet tones a little bit later in the day, right? Sound yeah. Smoking cigars all day. <laughs> <laughs> no, kids started school. I just, I mean, these kids, they just get me sick every fucking oh. week. It's crazy. But no, we're doing okay. It's just in my throat. We're all right. All right. So uh, I'm going to go to you first on this, and then I want to hear Ken Flo's thoughts on Ian Machado, Gary. But I do think there's a, an overreaching theme here when it comes to Ian Machado, Gary, and Sean O'Malley, there's connective tissue when it comes to 
them as strikers and how good and fast and skilled they are and how coachable they are and maybe how underestimated they are, even by some sharp MMA minds out there. What were your thoughts on on Ian Gary and everything that uh, that this fight week uh, and friction with Neil Magny helped? So I love the friction with Neil Magny. Didn't love the cage antics. I mean, usually when 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 you can talk all the shit you want in the cage, let's squash it up. But I mean, he said no. The Neil Magny's comeback. Listen, he looked great. I mean, he looked, he looked measured in there. I thought uh, I I wanted a finish. You had a one leg fighter in there. I think there's a lot of Ian Gary haters because how confident he is, and you know my friends especially are texting me. How could he not finish a one leg? You know all that shit. But I thought he looked cerebral in there. I thought he looked good. I love the call out of Wonder Boy. Um, I think that's a striker versus striker. I think that's a fun fight. I think that's a smart matchup for him. Not many people have outstruck Wonder Boy. And Ian Gary wants to be the best striker. He said it. So uh, the leg kicks were, I mean, crazy. The first two put Neil Magny right on his ass. And I'm holding a Neil Magny ticket. And I go, oh, we're in some trouble here. He can't even take yeah. a leg kick without getting yeah. put on his butt. I said, we're in some trouble. But, yeah, he looked fantastic. I mean, you know, I, I've always liked Ian Gary. This was a number play. But uh, the number failed me this time. So what are you going to do? Kenny, you know, oftentimes when it comes to criticism, I fall on the side of the fighter. You know, it seems like the New Hampshire and our producer, Cody Merrow, is coming out a little bit. I know Daniel Cormier also was questioning on the broadcast that maybe Ian Machado Gary should have finished. But thought he just was very methodical and didn't over risk. And I mean, he destroyed the guy, but even in his post-fight interview with Joe Rogan, like the highest level guys, mm. right? Like, I don't know, man, I don't have a, a, an ounce of criticism for Ian Gary, not getting the finish 30 to 24 for me is, is basically a finish. Uh, I might be somewhere in the middle. Now I, I picked okay. Ian Gary to win. I, I think that um, there's no question about it. He's got elite striking skills. Uh, absolutely. And I do think he can be elite in that division, but I, I guess I still stand where I did before and saying that I don't see the championship yet in, in, in his future, but I do see him being elite. And I think anytime you're able to dominate someone like Neil Magny, I think it's a great sign. Magny has been there and done that. He has a ton of experience he can be very awkward and difficult to go out there and beat let alone dominate like ian gary did so i think those are all phenomenal signs for ian gary and his team um i i do think that there were opportunities for him to go out there and finish that fight i think it would have been that much better for him and i probably would have changed my mind a little bit on his ability to become a champion in the welterweight division just because to me that that's more a sign of a guy who is uh I don't mastering his craft. Right. And I think that Ian Gary fell a little bit short of that, but as far as all the tools, the weapons, everything he was using and how he even started it off by weakening Neil Magny, I thought it was phenomenal. And, um, you know, here's a kid who is definitely uh, big for the division, uh, knows how to use it. And I, I just thought that he had more opportunities to go out there and finish. I was with DC on some of that. Uh, not always easy to do, though. Way easier for us to to say that from the outside looking in. Uh, but I did think that when you see the disparity in skill between Gary and Magny, um, you, you probably would have liked to see him sh close the door on that fight. But uh, sometimes it just doesn't happen. There's still a lot of unknowns when it comes to the grappling of both Sean O'Malley and Ian Machado Gary. And I think for Sean O'Malley, he certainly would have liked to have had the intel of maybe getting taken down by Aljamain Sterling and feeling that and having the opportunity, Kenny, right, to get back up. Great point. But 
Machado Gary is going to have roots in Brazil. He's still going to be rooted at Killcliffe FC with all of the best welterweights in the world. I think depending on the stylist he's fighting, he may bounce around a little bit. This kid's on the fast track at 25 years old. And I do think there's going to come a time on the Anakin Florian podcast, even if he has suffered a loss at that point in time, if the show's still going on, that Kenny's going to say, I now see world championship potential in Ian Machado Gary because at 25 years old, became a judo black belt at 18. He's just not going to be denied. He's just not going to be denied. And uh, that's not promotional hyperbole. I really think the kid's going to get there. But again, there are a lot of unknowns. It looks as though Dana, Kenny wants to go November Madison Square Garden. For Ian Gary, presumably that would be Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. And then wow. a headlining spot in Dublin, Ireland in 2024. So I would be absolutely stunned if September, if we don't see Ian Machado Gary and Stephen Wonderboy Thompson in less than three months live on pay-per-view at MSG. Uh, that's a great fight. Yeah. That's a phenomenal yeah. fight. Makes a lot yeah. of sense. All right. So uh, Marlon Chito Vera over Pedro Munoz by unanimous decision. Mario Bautista by Demond Blackshear by unanimous decision. Those were the other two uh, bantamweight fights, Bri, on the yeah. uh, on the pay per view main card. Uh, I really like this Bautista cat. You know, Blackshear mm-hmm. got off to a pretty good start in that fight. Anything for us, my man, on either of those two fights in terms of this uh, bantamweight heavy pay per view main card last weekend. Yeah, I thought the Munoz fight was a lot closer than maybe some people gave it credit for. I thought Pedro was really in there. I thought that was yeah. uh I saw some Twitter people actually giving it to Pedro, obviously, but uh a very close fight. I mean, Pedro was wearing it. The, the Cheeto hits different. And Bautista, yeah, this is a guy who came in the UFC with a lot of hype, comes from a great camp, and then had some setbacks, and he's out there fighting a guy who's very tough to look good against on short notice who just pulled a twister off and he showed, he showed, well, there was a minute in the second round. I'm like, Oh, Batista slowing down a little bit here. He got a second win and won that third round and looked great. You know, uh, I, Blackshear's corner thought he was up two rounds. I didn't love that advice, but uh, uh, yeah, Batista is something I, I'm really going to keep eye on. I really thought he was going to showcase his overall skill and maybe put a name. If, if he would have got the Cody fight, if Cody didn't pull out, cause I know Cody uh, Garbrandt is still, he's not maybe elite anymore, but he's still a name. And I thought Batista, could have really shown out in that fight, but uh, I thought he looked great. I mean, I'm a sky's the limit for him at, at that weight. And uh, yeah, I can't wait to see him matched up. I mean, 135 is it's just an absolute shark tank right now. Can flow a stylistic flip up for sure for Mario Bautista going from Cody Garbrandt to DeMont Blackshear. Not sure if you have anything on Bautista or Cheeto Vera or, uh, or either of those two pay-per-view fights before I move to a few other things. Yeah, I thought Bautista uh, made some great adjustments in that fight. Um, I-, I thought I thought the second round could have been for for Demond Blackshear. Mm-hmm. By the way, I, I yeah. I'm not sure you tell your fighter that when it's right. that close of a round uh, because you don't want to give up any rounds in this sport, right? But th- there's no way I would have been I would not have been confident in telling him that. That's for mm-hmm. sure. Uh, but it was a close fight. But still, Bautista, he's a stud, man. Um, Thought, thought he made great adjustments, was able to stop a lot of those takedown attempts, showed that he's an excellent grappler in his own right. And, um, yeah, it, it was cool. Um, and the other fight you were talking about, uh, Cheeto. Uh, Marlon Cheeto Vera. Oh, yes, yeah, Cheeto and Munoz. Uh, that was another close one. I, you know, Cheeto, uh, I thought, again, this was just a classic Cheeto Vera fight, right? It's like this slow start builds up, gets stronger, finds his rhythm in the third round, then like decimates his guy. Um, but yeah, it was good. Yeah, I thought it was a really good uh, performance for Cheeto Vera. I 
I think Cheeto fundamentally needs to take his footwork to another level if he wants to be a champion in that insane division. Yeah. Uh, and, it, and it might be his next one, right? He might fight Sean O'Malley next. And that plotting style, it's what allows him to hit so damn hard. But he's got to be bouncy. He's got to be in and out. He's got to be way more dynamic with his footwork if he wants to uh, be a world champion, I think, um, yeah. if he wants to. I guess sway the odds more in his favor, I should say, because his power is phenomenal. No question about that. I thought his hands looked much improved in this fight. He is making improvements. It didn't seem like he took any deep breaths during mm -hmm. that fight, despite the right. crazy pace. Um, and yeah, just uh, Cheeto doing Cheeto things and uh, great win for him in a big spot. I saw value in Munoz. I went for it and fit. All right, a couple of other things that I want to get to on <laughs> UFC 292. And uh, Big Gun Brian Peach, yeah. the commitment to this show is not lost on us. I appreciate the extended oh, time I love tonight. It. I want to get to the Brads, Tavares, and Katona. Print the shirts. Always bet on cardio. Brad Katona, yeah. weaponized in cardio, right? This kid is impressive, man. Like mm -hmm. an acquired taste, maybe, right? Maybe mm -hmm. you don't want to, like, go break bread with him. I think he's all right. But <laughs> Ken for all, like... Kenny, this kid I is really all right. good. He's all right. <laughs> this kid is really tough and really good, and like he's tough, just doesn't get tired. And Cody Gibson, just a hungry, hungry fight. And the Stephen Bonner, Forrest Griffin comparisons are not lost on me, Kenny. Like mm -hmm. this was Jason Knight, Mississippi Mean suggested this is one of the best fights in UFC history, and uh, I don't necessarily need to go there. But Kenny, this fight was was outstanding, and I just think it speaks to the stakes and the commitment and the thirteen week training camp and everything else. Nonstop back and forth, and you know, I, I think what Joe Rogan was saying when he said this is a fight, ladies and gentlemen, was that you know you go to that dark place in your soul in your heart when you're in a fight like that where you're like. This isn't about who wins this round or who wins this fight. Like, you're fighting for your life. That was kind of the sense that I got when these guys were fighting. It felt like a street fight. And so, in a lot of ways, it looked like a street fight. It wasn't the most technical fight in the world. But, man, these guys were trying to take each other out every single second. The pace to start that fight was insane. And Katona, you know, just slowly started pulling away from round after round, just stayed more active, was landing some really clean shots, and Gibson was just fading, man. Um, mm -hmm. He was throwing a lot of arm punches, and I think efficiency got the better of him, or a lack thereof got the better of him there. But uh, Katona, man, came in shape, and uh, it was just an action-packed fight because of it. Bri, what yeah. do you got, kid? Yeah, this is my mortal lock. I have Bracatona. This is the last line that came out because it got, you know, we, we didn't know until Tuesday. He opened at minus 175. I loaded up on that, went down to 170, loaded up again. I thought he was going to win in a completely different way. I thought he was going to grapple and beat up Cody because before Cody went on the show, he fought Ray Borg and got taken down like seven times. He yeah. has that problem. He debuted against Aljamain Sterling in the UFC, was getting taken down. And and Brad said, no, no, no we're going to stand up. We're going to bang it out. I mean, he, he went for like some takedowns, but never really committed. And mm -hmm. uh, just the toughness of both those guys, such a back and forth fight. Brad had a, a huge weld inside of his head. And then Cody, I know, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I'm not a doctor, but he broke his eye orbital for sure. And there was a minute where he was like, oh, shit, this kills. Yeah. 
I might quit. And then said, no, fuck that. Here's an uppercut. Yeah. I mean, the toughness of those guys and even, I mean, it just, you know, that's a fight that I did not expect that to happen. I thought Katona would, would grapple and and win that way because that's usually his game and was pleasantly surprised to see them just go out and banging out old school, tough finale, which I felt like we haven't got that in a while. And it was, it was awesome. I love it. Cody Gibson's inner monologue is like, man, my orbital floor is shattered, but if I tough it out, I'll get 50 grand and maybe a UFC contract. And that's exactly what he got. He got the UFC contract, which is rare. And he also got the $50,000 bonus. So congrats to both Brad Katona and Cody Gibson. We also acknowledge Kurt Hollabo, not Hollabaugh, Hollabo, 36 years of age, was 0-4 in the UFC didn't believe this third UFC stint was going to materialize. Now he's the ultimate fighter he is in. And, uh, you know, he's a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt pressure striker. And uh, that's a really big win for him. And I wouldn't be surprised to see him do a little bit of damage there at 155 pounds. And then real quick, can flow on Brad Tavares. Chris Weidman was the story. And I just love the way Brad Tavares handled this entire week. He certainly was fighting for his home state of Hawaii with all of the devastation going on there. But he also had no time for questions about whether or not Weidman was going to open with a leg kick. Like he was, he was primal. He was businesslike. He was no nonsense. And I thought it was an exceptional performance for a guy who's 23 fights into his UFC career. Well, he was set up to be the asshole, right? Because mm-hmm. either he goes out and loses or he beats the guy who broke his leg. So it was, <laughs> it was a tough spot to be in. But I thought he played it right mentally leading into that fight. I think he was saying the right things for him and his family, right? It's like, who cares about that guy's story? I'm trying to win and save my career here and put some food on the table. Um, and I thought that he came in with that right mindset. And a Hawaiian is never going to back away from a fight, okay? I've been watching Tavares a long time. He's always been humble. He's always been a hard worker. I've seen major, major improvements in his game since his first UFC fight to where he was at now. Um, maybe not in his prime right now, his chin perhaps, not what it used to be. But look at the look at the row of killers that he has faced over the course yeah. of his career course of his career uh again just staying true to that you know hawaiian nature he will never say no to any fight out there and and i also got to mention you know i i don't always look at the comments i was looking at some comments someone's like but you know kenny's saying tavares is a big middleweight what is he talking about you know he's only 5'11". Did you see his legs? Have you <laughs> oh, seen yeah. his legs? And didn't he used to fight at 205 by the way? Um but you know i think that uh you know, when you see a guy with that kind of build uh, and those legs, you have to you have to know those leg kicks are coming, mm-hmm. especially given the the injury. And you know, Tavares is so good at setting them up. You know, working with the great Ray Cepho, um, he was just on point, did all the right things, and. I, again, I, I think all the superlatives were right on point with his counter wrestling, his ability to stop those takedowns. Chris Weidman is not an easy guy to stop, especially up against the cage. He had all the right answers there. Uh, congratulations to Brad Tavares. Yeah. He was a star middle linebacker in high school. You don't get there yeah. by accident. No. He's a tremendous yeah. athlete. He's an absolute hoss. And uh, yeah, he's been in there with Yoel Romero and Robert Whitaker and uh, just feel good for a really good dude. And uh you know, it's like he's a father in his own right, and I just think his ability to stay focused amidst all of that noise and especially the Hawaii stuff as well. Uh, just wanted to do a little hat tip there to Brad Tavares. Congrats to Gregory Rodriguez. You know, the elbows, perhaps somewhat controversial to some. You know, Ken Flo is just such a violent motherfucker in his head that he's probably like, yeah. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, but 
Gregory Rodriguez, one of my Institute of Human Performance teammates, so we congratulate him. Just a great night for the mixed martial arts and combat sports leader, UFC 292. Largest gate in the history of TD Garden for a non-Stanley Cup final or NBA Finals game. And uh, these UFC live events as commodities, just absolutely absurd right now. All right, Kenny, am I missing anything else? No, we got to move on. We got some predictions. UFC is going to be in Singapore. And, uh, you know, if you like coffee and you like combat (laughs) together, that's your reality. This Saturday, August 26th, main card, 8 a.m. Eastern on ESPN Plus. UFC fight night from Singapore. It is Holloway versus the Korean Zombie. This here is our main event challenge. And, guys, you know what? I've been burning it at all ends. I don't have the updated standings, but what I can tell you, Ken Flo had three units on Ian Machado Gary. He also had two units on Aljamain Sterling. So all things no. considered, it was a good week for Kenny Florian. Well, no, yeah, Sterling, that didn't hit. But, um, <laughs> yeah, and you did miss on uh, Pedro Munoz. So maybe not as good a week as possible. You don't want to take later, so, We'll uh, get him. All right. All right, we have some predictions today. And part of the reason we're picking this preliminary fight, and all of these odds, by the way, courtesy of DraftKings Sportsbook, <clears throat> Heavyweight division, I think there's an interesting angle here between Junior Taffa and Parker Porter, and it's very close on the money line. So, big gun Brian Petrie. Yes. Oh, I like seeing your face now as we go. All right. There you go. Cody doing a nice job directing with cameras today. Justin Taffa's brother, Junior Taffa, minus 122. Parker Porter, plus 102. Porterhouse coming off a win. Yeah, that might not be a bad nickname, Parker Porterhouse. I like the steakhouse for him. I mean, this guy's got a rip. When he retires, he's got to open a steakhouse. I've been saying it for years. That's 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 the best. right. Yeah, that's right. So he's coming off a win over Braxton Smith at UFC 288 not all that long ago. That came on the heels of a loss to Justin Taffa mm-hmm. by knockout in Perth in February of this year. So now he tries the younger brother, Junior, who is four and one, dropped his UFC debut to Mo Usman back on April 22. Brian Petrie, who do you have? Yeah, I've been hearing a lot about Junior Taffa. Junior Taffa, I loaded up on him blindly. Kickboxer, you know, Mo Usman, you know, has been hurt before, has been knocked out before. And he, I was like, well, who, 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 I should have done tape study. I shouldn't look. He did not look good against Mo Usman. He had chances to win and he rushed everything. He has no takedown offense yet. He's obviously young, working on it. Looks exactly like his brother, by the way, which is uncanny. And Parker Porter doesn't go from as many takedowns as I like. He beat Braxton Smith who was on, you know, allegedly, I saw some articles. He, I think he is suspended right now. He was on a lot of that grandpa's cough medicine. You know what I mean? The illegal stuff. And he was jacked to the tits and Parker Porter took him out. That's a one round fighter who was ready to knock him out one round. That's what junior Taffa has here. He's a little slicker in Braxton Smith, obviously, but I think Parker Porter with those legs and just, just everything with this size, if he gets him down, it's over. I think that's Parker Porter, the steakhouse, is going to have to do. And I think he fillets. You see that right there? That's wordplay right there, babe. Junior Taffa, out of dog money. I'm going to take it. Uh, Give me Parker Porter. I'm not good picking heavyweights, but, I mean, plus money on a guy who did not look good. I'm going to take the steakhouse. Give it to me. Bri, have you and Erica Petrie talked about the use of testosterone or human growth hormone in advance of your pro mixed martial arts debut? So I got to get a physical every year. I have high T, so I don't know if I take testosterone, what would wow. happen? My testosterone <laughs> is high, which I did not think because I can't grow facial hair. I'm like, no, it's low. It's low. Yeah. No, the lady's like, no, it's it's borderline high. Like, it might be a problem. I'm like, fuck. All right. Well, that's that's out. Do you want to do some uh, EPO or blood doping for your cardio or no? Yeah, I might have to look into it. My cardio is in shambles right now. I might have to look into it. 
Maybe we'll do some EPO for your cardio yeah. or something. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm totally uh, down for it. I'm totally down for it. But if CFFC is not going to test you for EPO, then maybe we'll fucking do some blood doping <laughs> for your debut. This uh, is going to go it. off the rails quickly. I'm I love it. Oh, I didn't eat till like 4.30 in the morning. You know, I did take a little bit of a nap today. That's good. If that's interesting. All right. Ken <laughs> Junior Taffa, Parker, Porter, House. Which way are you going? Little EPL, little meth for cardio. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're, we're the coaches you need, Brian. Yeah, that's right. And we got you. Yeah, you know? Right way. I love Sponsor, it. Sponsored by the Anakin Florian podcast. Um, it's, um, I love it, dude. Listen, I, I'm with I'm with I'm with Brian here. Listen, when I see two guys that are capable um, of of either knocking the other one out or it's a little too close. I'm always going to lean towards the underdog. And Brian's right, man. If Porter's able to take this fight to the ground, which I think he he has. He, he can take people down. He can't get on top. He has decent ground, certainly better than Tafa here. Um, he likes to get people up against the cage. When he does have a grappling-heavy game plan, he, get him up, he gets him up against the cage. He looks for those singles and doubles, gets on top, has good ground and pound, could get good position. I think that's what he needs to do here. Uh, Tafa's got some power too, no question about it. But I think at this stage of the game, he, he lacks that ex- experience in making good game time decisions. So uh, he could win this fight, but I'm going to lead towards Porter here as well. All right, next up, high stakes in the women's flyweight division. Aaron Blanchfield, minus 148. Tyler Santos, plus 124. Blanchfield, the American, will not be 25 until May. Wow. 11 and 1. Went over Jessica Andrade in what was a main event back in February. She's 5-0 and in the UFC, Bri, and now mm-hmm. draws the former world title challenger, Tyler Santos. The Brazilian has not fought since she challenged Valentina Shevchenko in Singapore last June. Who do you have here? Big fight. Yeah, so we, you know, a lot of times we'll, we'll label, like, we, we label Bo Nickel him. He's him, right? I think Aaron Blanchfield's her. I think she's her. I think she is that good. I'm ready for her to slip up at 24 years old, but she's so committed to this game. I follow on Instagram, and literally, she is, she's, she's, I'm getting a crush on her. Not physically, but just the way she trains, well, and physically, because she's pretty, but I'm just saying. I, 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 I dropped your wife's name, and like yeah. two minutes later, I mean, I know you guys sometimes sit down and watch the show. So when yeah. do you have a crush on Bo Nichols? My, my wife, my wife, if you go to joe burrow's instagram every fucking picture of burrow is liked by my wife so she's she i'm okay with that she's gonna be okay with this all right um i think she's fantastic she's great i mean the andrage fight she stood up on andrage and then she got to the ground and if you look at aaron blanchfield's last couple fights one takedown one takedown because that's all it fucking takes i think tala santos is very good she looked great against uh shevchenko uh very close fight she landed her own takedown she's big she's strong in there but Again, I'm ready for it to go off the rails in this low number at a, a, a Aaron Blanchard, which I would pay twice the number on this. I'm loving it. Um, the only reason I'm not going unit heavy, the only reason I'm not putting the nuts on the table right now is I like a bet later in the card, but uh, I love Aaron Blanchard in this spot. I think she's going to win. I think she could even finish. That'd be four finishes in a row, and then at that point, you just got you just got to throw in there. I know she's young, but th- that that's a title shot if she can finish Tyler Santos, in my opinion. Give me Aaron Blanchard. Kenny, with respect to Tyler Santos, I thought Aaron Blanchfield would be minus 250 as opposed mm-hmm. to minus 150 or so. You got number three and number four at 125 pounds. We mentioned also both prominently featured on the UFC's pound for pound list. Huge, huge eliminator at 125. We need your prediction. 
You know, what, what you can't forget here is that Tyler Santos is a very good fighter. I, I think mm-hmm. that she's a very good striker, and I think she'll probably be the cleaner striker uh, than Erin than Blanchfield out there. Doesn't necessarily mean she's going to win, but she has her weapons. She has her tools, and they are relatively sharp. She's also not too shabby on the ground either when she's able to take the back, get position. She's very good at taking the back. Is she as good as Blanchfield on the ground? No. I think Blanchfield positionally is going to to be superior and it's probably where this fight ends up and because of that I think Blanchfield is going to be able to outposition Tyler Santos just wear her down over time and then ultimately either get a TKO or get some kind of submission now this is the fight this is a perfect fight that Aaron should take after that excellent win over someone like Andrade you know she was calling for Shevchenko I said right. it was too early this is the right fight at this point in her career with her experience with her age I love it this is the path towards towards uh, that championship uh, opportunity and um, I don't think it's an easy fight at all uh, but I do I, I do like Blanchfield here I think if she can connect her striking in with her entries, get there safely. I think she wins this fight. Nicely done, kid. Nicely mm-hmm. done. All right, next up, big fight at featherweight. Ninth-ranked Giga Chikadze, minus 238. Taking on number 15, Alice Caceres, who is plus 195. Giga was to face Sadiq Yusuf <laughs> last September. He was <laughs> he was forced to withdraw due oh, to injuries. Supposedly, he's had a hard time, has Giga, getting a fight since that Sadiq Yusuf fight fell off. So here we are nearly a year later, Bri, and he draws Caceres, who's been on an absolute tear, winning seven of eight to reach the top 15. Who do you have here? Yeah, uh, I mean, Bruce Leroy's Alex Caceres has been around forever. He's a good striker. He's hard to put away. Um, the guys that I put him away, usually generally on the ground, but I think Giga is just on a different level. I'm a fan of this guy. I I, 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 I was saying earlier this week, y'all, he got dog walked by Cater, which he kind of did. He got he got fucked up by Cater. But I want to watch the fight. He landed 118 strikes on Cater. It wasn't like he gave up and rolled over. Cater definitely won the fight and dropped him a few times. But Giga landed strikes. This guy's an elite kickboxer, elite striker. That Giga kick to your liver is brutal. And uh, I think, you know, with Caceres, yeah, I think this is a perfect matchup. This is exactly who he should have came back from with a year off or longer than that after the beating he took from Cater, rest the brain, rest everything. Caceres might want to mix up some takedowns, but I don't love his takedowns. He kind of clinches, wants to put you against the cage and kind of body lock, take you down. Giga has worked on that. That's primarily his thing early in his career. You could take him down. He, he, is, he has since uh, has rectified that. But his striking, I think, is just beautiful with his hands and his kicks. More so with his kicks, but I think his hands are working. The time off, I'm not afraid of. Minus 245, I'm yeah. not afraid of. So uh, give me Giga here. I like him big as well. I feel like I'm seeing it just so goddamn good this huh. week. Clip that when I go over, but I'm just saying uh, I like Giga here, uh, and I think he may even get a finish here. I think he's back. All right, fear is not a factor for Brian Petrie. <laughs> Alex Caceres on the other side, Ken Flo. He's won two in a row, defeated Daniel Pineda back on June 3rd. He's fought like 28 times in the UFC. Crazy. What do you think about this one at 145 pounds, Kid? Yeah, I think this is a perfect fight for Giga, as Brian alluded to. I think Caceres has shown great improvements. I think mentally, spiritually, technically, he's looking phenomenal on a two-fight win streak right now over two you know, decently tough guys. And it's great to see that uh, at this point of his career. But this is a really tough matchup for him in Giga. I just don't think he's going to be able to take him down um, You know, at, at this stage of the game. I think Giga has improved significantly in that 
uh, in that modality. And I think that uh, Giga's kick to the ribs are just an absolute problem. You know it's coming, but it's very difficult to stop. It's very unusual in that he's not attacking you with the shin to the rib. He's attacking you by digging those damn toes into your ribs. And um, he's going to touch an organ, and it's not going to be nice. So uh, I like Giga here. Um, and let's go with Ooh. give me five unis. Oh, five unit trigger by there Kenny Florian on God say $1,190 bet to yield 500. You guys get out of bedtime when we go primetime on a Sunday night. Or maybe you'd like doing bedtime. I don't know. So I'm getting out of bedtime right now. Oh, really? I am. My yeah, kids, I'm out of uh, bedtime. Yeah. 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 It's fine. It's absolutely fine. All right. Co-main <laughs> event. Kemflo, we're going to leave with you here. It's a light heavyweight rematch. Ryan Spann, minus 148. Anthony Lionheart Smith, plus 124. So Smith took the first meeting. It was September of 2021. He did so by submission just three minutes and 47 seconds into the fight. Since he has lost two in a row to high-level competition, there's heat on this matchup as well, Kenny. Very interesting fight, relevant fight at 205 pounds. Span or Smith for you, Ken Flo. Awesome. All right. Under normal circumstances, I would feel bad about not putting the kids to bed, but especially <laughs> me being away. But I cooked dinner for the first time in my life, in my Whoa. career, guys. Whoa. So we can put that in. Yeah, actually. Tonight? Tonight? Tonight. Tonight. What did you cook? What did you make? First time ever. I did a little a little cheeseburger uh, like taco hey. thing. It was oh. it was pretty basic, but it was delicious. It was nice. simple, but I, I, I the kids liked it. It was good. Nice. Mark was impressed. So, anyways, uh, for me, that's that's a big deal. All right, so let's see. Uh, Ryan's been Anthony Smith. Uh, Anthony Smith has probably, and hopefully Brian agrees, one of the most difficult guys to rely on. Right. It's like I love Anthony. He, he's a great analytical mind. He knows the sport very well. He's got some great skills. But on fight night, man, it is like throwing dice, unfortunately. And I think that, you know, he could be really hot. He could be really cold. I have no idea what's going to happen. And I don't know where he's at at this stage of his career. And I didn't love his last fight. To me, it seemed like he just didn't want to be out there. And, and, and I wonder if he wants to be out here against Ryan Spann, he better be. And if he is, hey, he could absolutely win this fight on the feet or on the ground. But Ryan Spann is an extremely dangerous guy on the feet and on the ground, uh, more so on the feet. Uh, positionally, he may suffer from some issues uh, on the ground maybe, but he's still very dangerous. He's got some good submissions. He's got some good ground and pound. But boy, does his power worry me against someone like Anthony Smith. And also, Anthony ha hasn't quite solved the issue of calf kicks or leg, leg kicks in general. And I think that's something that Ryan Spann is probably going to try to expose here, uh, and then he'll try to you know look for one of those big power shots with his hands upstairs. And um, yeah, I, I worry about Anthony here in this one. I like Span here. Um, I, I think that, uh, I don't know, you have a hungry fighter against, and I'm not sure where he's at at this point in his career fighter. So mm -hmm. um, yeah, I'll leave it at that. Fair enough. Absolutely yeah. fair. Anthony Smith, uh, and you're wise to point him out as an anal analytical mind. Uh, I think he has a bright future calling fights for the UFC as well. One of my favorite colleagues on this crazy UFC roadshow and really has an appetite for 
learning about television and not just sort of going up there and cashing a paycheck. So a lot of respect for the individual, but it is hard to quantify where his championship hunger might be at this stage of his career. And I I think that's fair. Ryan Spann has won two of three since that main event against Anthony Smith. He was submitted though, Bryce last time out against Nikita Krilov on March 11th. Who do you have here? My brother. Yeah. So this is obviously Kenny alluded to it's such a hard fight. I even, I even put span in that category as a hard guy to predict. I mean, he had Johnny Walker on the ropes and it's like, what are you doing? Uh, Nikita Krylov, he falls into it, you know, and this is what I call my podcast, a bowl of spaghetti fight. You put two pitches <laughs> on the wall, you throw a bowl of spaghetti, whatever the spaghetti lands on more. That's who you pick. So I almost want to pass in this fight, but the fight has a little bit of heat. And I think that's going to motivate Anthony Smith. I think he kind of was ghost walking against Johnny Walker, who's a big, huge guy. I get it. But that's a fight that he possibly could have won. Johnny Walker looked fantastic. But um, I think Anthony Smith, that dog money here, I think if it goes to the ground, I think he can submit Span. I think Span's fight IQ is lacking. I think his athletic ability is off the charts, power off the charts. But after round one, midway through round one, if he's not going the way he wants it to go, what happens? I think he might check out mentally and fall into something. I do think Anthony Smith has good submission. So I think Smith is going to get a submission. That's how I play this fight. I'm going to pick Anthony Smith personally, though, for the listeners out there, I play Smith by decision. If not, just kind of stay away from the fight. Um, But yeah, that's my take. All right. So big on Brian Petrie teased like a big bet of some kind. So we'll see if that happens (laughs) before we get out of here. Uh, Do you have any prelim, uh, I That's told, I'm going to yield okay. my time. Right. I want to, I want to say something about the Ray Longo team. I know you guys covered it. It's just a real quick thing. I'm going to yield my prelim time to say something about them. All right. Well, before we get to the main event, give me the Longo stuff. All right. No, basically what it is, is, is you know, I'm, I'm getting close to Ray Longo. I've met Matt Frivola's dad. You know, I, I got Long Island blood. My mother's from Long Island. And you guys touched on everything about how respectful and great Aljo was after the fact. Again, I'm still baffled he gets booed. But what I love is the closeness of the team. Loyalty means so much to me. And the fact that you got Marab sitting there in the cage, all on the verge of tears, who's the number one contender who could have made that situation, made that moment about him going up to Sean going, Oh, you're calling out Cheetah. No, no, fuck that. You're, you're going to get me. He didn't do that. He sat in the back and said this. My teammate just lost. I'm devastated. And yeah. that just is a testament to the loyalty to that team, to the coaching, everything like that. And there's not, I mean, listen, I've been, I've been in a few gyms. I'm not like I'm a, a, a an expert or anything, but there's a lot of shit that goes on in gyms that are, aren't like that. Like what Ray Longo has in Long Island. And uh, I respect it so much. So hats off to all those guys. That's all I want to say. No, that's a very important point, and I'm glad you took the time to make it. It's interesting how you lean into those New York roots. It's like I'm, I'm trying to like hide <laughs> the fact that my dad's from Seaford, New York. I was yeah. procreated in Massachusetts. Anyway, I don't think I have like New York blood. What's funny uh, is so I've never been to Long Island, but I've been to Boston several times for Thanksgiving growing up because my grandmother has a twin sister. She married a guy from Boston, so we used to go there for Thanksgiving. So, you know, there we go. So Good choice by marrying yeah. a fucking Boston guy. Yeah. Some people suggested that Bostonians are mean. I don't think collectively we're as mean as New Yorkers, but it's very cool for me to see how much my coworkers love the city of Boston. It's always mm-hmm. heartwarming when people like the place that you're from. All right, main yeah. event, featherweight eliminator of sorts. Former champ Max Holloway, minus 850. Korean zombie Chan Sung Jung, plus 520. Only man to beat Max Holloway since 2019, Alexander Volkanovsky. Max has won three of four. Bested Arnold Allen over five rounds back in April in Kansas City. Bry, he's in a bit of a yeah. tough spot divisionally until Volk loses or leaves. Mm-hmm. Uh, Korean Zombies' last fight came against the Volk man. That was a losing effort April of 2022. Will you have a play for us on the main event? 
Yeah, uh, you know, sometimes fights hit me like lightning bolts. I, I've been tracking this fight for two weeks now going, I can't, I mean, I mean, the number on Max Holloway should, in my opinion, should be minus like 2,000. I mean, I think wow. no, no offense to Korean Zombie. I just think he's taken steps back as, as opposed to steps forward. He's very tough. He's always going to be in a fight. He's got power in his hands, but he hasn't evolved. He hasn't improved as a fighter, in my opinion, and, and he's just getting older. Max Holloway, Besides Volkanovski is is the best 145. I mean, you can make an argument he's there. I mean, I thought he would go up to 55. I mean, I don't think you're going to get a four fight with Volk after how the last one. I thought he'd get a 55. He's got the long body for it. Staying at 45 here, he's going to Singapore to to fight kind of, you know, I mean, the the not really hometown guy, but fighting that part of the world guy in the main event here. And Max at 850, I'm doing something a capper should never do. I should walk away from this. I should say, though, that's no, you can't do that. I would pay double this price. I would put 100 units on this. I'm going to be putting a lot of money on my own money. This is a five-unit play for me on Max Holloway. I think he's just steps ahead of Korean Zombie. I think Korean Zombie has a puncher's chance like everybody, but when's the last time we've seen Max get hit? And knocked out or knocked out. He's never been knocked down. So I just, I don't see the path for victory on Korean Zombie here. Sure, he can grapple. He's got a twist or submission himself. He has good jujitsu, but I just don't see that happening. I think Max is, is on point. And I think he's taking fights now just to, because I, I, he knows he's not going to get the Volk fight unless Volk loses. And he's taking fights now just to prove his greatness and to get better as a mix, mixed martial artist. And, and I think that's all the motivation a guy like him needs. So I'm heavy on Max here, big time. Uh, yeah, a five unit play. And uh, I think he's going to get a finish as well. Uh, I feel like Max has had a finish in a while, so I, th- I see where a finish as well coming. $4,250 American dollars for Patreon. Max Holloway, Ken Flo, who do you have in the main event? Um, you know, these are two guys that are must-see TV. I think this is a, a, an awesome matchup. I know it's one that Max Holloway has wanted. I, I think a lot of 145-pounders want this matchup against Korean Zombie because of how much of a, a legend the Korean Zombie is. Uh, but also it's because he moves forward, doesn't care about moving his head, uh, isn't one to kind of dance in and out. He plods forward and uh, says F you, basically. Uh, let's see who's tougher. And um, it's what makes him so dangerous, but it's also what makes him so vulnerable. And, you know, am I supposed to bet against the volume king from Hawaii and Max Holloway mm-hmm. against someone like Korean Zombie? You just can't do it. And, you know, big favorite here at minus 850 but you know he's a big favorite for a reason it could have been even bigger in my opinion just based on holloway and his style i think what i'm most intrigued by is is this a max holloway that has peaked you know was his has he peaked a few fights ago is he still improving are we going to see some new tools in his toolbox i don't know i'm 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 uh I'm willing to be surprised, and uh, I'm looking forward to this fight. Holloway, one of the biggest legends, one of the, one of my favorite fighters to watch. So this should be fun. For sure. All right, if you want more from Brian Petrie, at Brian Petrie MMA, Big Gun, I appreciate the extended time, my man, and we will talk to you uh, in about a week as we look forward to Paris, brother. Awesome. I'll see you, boys. All right, there he is, Brian Petrie, with us most every week here on the Anakin Florian Podcast, and that is going to do it for today. Coming up next week, Former two-time UFC Bantamweight champion, Davida Cruz, also Roman Bravo Young, Penn State wrestler. We'll have the two of them together coming up next week. We'll get you ready for uh, UFC Fight Night. Sidelgan versus Sergei Spivak coming up September 2nd in Paris, France. Thanks to our guests. Thanks to Ray Longo just for everything that he does for this program. Thanks to Brian Petrie. Thanks to all the listeners out there for your commitment to this show every week. Thanks to everybody on the ground in Boston who shouted out the podcast If you do want to support the show, 
We appreciate you going to the DraftKings YouTube channel, subscribing, liking our show. And when you do like our show, our videos will populate there. The clips are still yours on the Anakin Florian Podcast YouTube channel. Bilal Muhammad, Jason Anik going live every Thursday with Remember the Show, so you can tune in for that as well. And you can go to worldmmaawards.com if you do want to support us uh, in the MMA programming categories. We try to take home our first award for the Anakin Florian Podcast. If you want to catch me on SportsCenter tomorrow, I'll be talking about uh, Sugar Daddy, the Sugar Show, Sean O'Malley, and... Uh, Ken Flo, I wish you all the best uh, in your endeavors. Are you on the road this week or no? I am. I'm off tomorrow. You got a big one, don't you? That's in New York City. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Shane Burgos, Clay Collard in the main event, kid. Wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Two of my favorites. Yeah. Clay Collard. <laughs> oh, I love Clay Collard. I love Shane Burgos. You know Sada who else Busi, I love? OAM. You know who else I love? What do you got? Henan Fajeda. Dude. It's Bro. insane. <laughs> so if you don't know. dude do a backflip off of one leg and stick it on one leg? You ever see that? A six foot eight dude? It's crazy. Crazy. So if you don't know, part of the reason Ken Flo was not with us for UFC 292 in Boston is because he was at the theater at Madison Square Garden on Friday night for the PFL as Henan Fajeda crochets Maurice Green yeah. in yeah. the main event. That was pretty violent. And then Larissa Pacheco, my goodness, 14 seconds. She's a bad bitch, huh? Dude, she's a problem. She's a problem. And, and I have a feeling that every organization of the world is going to be trying to uh, get her services because she goes out there to decimate her opponent. doesn't last long. Uh, she might be the one to take the throne of someone like an Amanda Nunes. But as you said, Zhang Wei Lee and her, it's like they're right there, man, as far as best yeah. of the best, in my opinion. Yeah. All right. Follow Ken Flo's business at Argus Integrated Defense on social media. I mean, if you come up on Larissa Pacheco, the space management they teach is not going to help. But uh, for maybe some <laughs> other street fights, you'll be OK. Thanks to our executive producer, Cody Merrill. Thanks to everybody at DraftKings for uh, for the VIP stuff and uh, the dinner in uh, in Boston. I got to meet, by the way, some of their high roller gamblers like these sharp MMA minds really? that make like hundreds of thousands of dollars, I guess, betting on MMA and uh yeah, they were picking my brain, but I was more picking theirs. Wow. It was a pretty cool experience. All right. Thanks, everybody in Boston for the support. We appreciate every last one of you. And we are back in a week to uh, recap Singapore and look ahead to Paris. And, of course, pay-per-view in Australia, Cannonball coming as well. Thank you all for supporting the show. For Ken Flom, John Anik, we'll talk to you until next week. Until then, go there. I start a verse, I break at least three commandments Kinda like Pluto because I never plan it I'm outlandish in the way that make the patches look Like they own ranches, it's the art of war Your blood's the only color on the canvas And I don't mean it like a thug sense of how you can get God Fuck being gangsta, I'm hip-hop You got it every time you walk in the label The A&R's like, not it, immune to your shit Cause I circle, circle, dot, dotted Body heat is a toxic, we gotta beat, I don't gotta speak Coppers, he start to think psychically, make the speakers Peak elitist sleep, off the high horse Make an ass of the views, your DJ must not know the alphabet For getting his cues, my favorite DJ got those Six extra L's to abuse Esoteric John P And I'm the new kid at school I'm Raider Ellis Nice to meet you Short bust of my styles Egocentric Ego tripping with Frequent flyers miles DJ wants to get in the bird He gets in the bird And bird Takes the shot He's Now's a good time to remember Where the story of tequila started In 1795 The first tequila distillery Was opened by the Cuervo family And 229 years later Cuervo is still going strong Family-owned from the start. Same family, same land. 
Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckley SAB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly.